You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Oh, I can't hear it. It cuts out. (laughs) Shit is peaking. Shit is peaking. Abort. Abort. This is East Side Story, and I'm your host, Chiang Ng. Each week, I sit down with an Asian or Asian-American artist working in the New York theater scene, and I excavate their life story. How they grew up, how they got their start in theater as well as projects they've worked on and upcoming work that we should anticipate. This week's guest is Kuhu Verma. She was most recently seen at Signature Theatre's Octet, written by Dave Malloy and directed by Annie Tipp. She made her movie debut in The Big Sick and is currently in workshops for Broadway-bound musicals Monsoon Wedding and Secret Garden. I got to work with Kuhu on my musical, The Golden Threshold. And she is not only a really smart actor, but her voice is also completely out of this world. Therefore, the perfect fit for the first episode of the series. Enjoy. Let's jump into our conversation. Great. So why don't you introduce yourself? Who are you? Where are you from? Ooh, where are you really from? Where am I really <laughs> from? Oh, we're going to get like copyright issues from that. <laughs> My name is Kuhu Verma. I am from, I was just being the cab driver on the way over. I'm from Pennsylvania, but my parents are from India. But the little tidbit that I usually don't tell racist people is that I was actually born in India. So technically, I really am from India. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even know this. Yeah, yeah. Well, I present as very white usually. And so I very much am like, oh, I'm from Pennsylvania. And I like kind of begging them to ask the where are you really from question (laughs) so I can be like, Pennsylvania. (laughs) But the truth is... I'm actually from India. I was born in India. Which part of India? New Delhi. Oh, wonderful. City yeah. city girl. Yeah. City girl her whole life. City girl my entire, entire <laughs> life. Yeah. A little different. But yeah. Talk a little bit about your childhood. Um, how big is your family? Uh, and you grew up in Pennsylvania. And how was that experience? I grew up kind of everywhere. Like, I got to see a lot of different places in America. So, like, was in Delhi and, you know... In India, it's such communal living. Mm-hmm. It's very much like everyone's taking care of each other. And family is always nearby, you know. Mm-hmm. And if you're, oh, yeah. if you're a kid, you have like seven guardians, eight guardians, you know. The gardener's taking care of you. The person that sweeps your house is taking care of you, you right. know. Right, right, right. Which is really great. Um, and then I went to – I lived in L.A. for a bit, lived in Ohio for a bit, New Jersey for a bit, obviously, because I'm Indian. And then I, we, like, eventually ended up in Pennsylvania. 
I, I did not know this. I did not know that you you grew up so many places. I just totally. I knew you were from Pennsylvania, but yeah. like I never knew you were born in India, and then you like traveled so many places. Well, I I, I don't have an allegiance to states. Mm. I think in the same way that a lot of people do. Yeah. So like you know even now I talk to people and they're like oh like I'm a Colorado dude like I love Colorado like that's where I'm from you know <laughs> I'm like that is bread. gonna be that is gonna be edited <laughs> as the Kuvarma tag I'm a Colorado I'm a Colorado dude. <laughs> And I'm like, that's great. I don't have any allegiance to Pennsylvania specifically or to any other state in America at all. Yeah. You know, my allegiance. Not even to New York? That's the thing. Like, New York would be the only place. Yeah. You yeah. know, and it, it's not a state thing and it's not a geography thing yeah. and it's not a family thing. It's the feeling that no matter everywhere I've been, the place that I I had 100% of a choice mm. in picking of like where I wanted to end up and where I wanted to live was here. Mm. And that was a choice that was not up to anyone else but me. It wasn't visas and it wasn't where work went and we followed the work as immigrants. It was just me being like, I want to live here. I see myself flourishing here. Yeah. And this is where I choose to be. And flourish you did. And flourish I am. <laughs> yeah, I am, am. Not even, yeah, it's, it's happening right now, right here, right yeah. now. And do you have any siblings? I do have a little sister. I never knew that either. Yeah. Wait, have I seen photos of her? Probably not. I, f- I find <laughs> that I don't speak about my family very much. Yeah. Um... I mean, I, I do know about your mom. Yeah. I do know about your mom. I do know about your dad. And like the little ism that we talk yes, about sometimes. Yes, they're so wonderful. I yeah, it's definitely a. It was a huge trans- transition mm-hmm. going from you know hating myself and hating my Indianness and mm-hmm. like whitewashing myself, um, and finding out that in the process of whitewashing myself, I was erasing my parents' existence mm-hmm. in my life, and transitioning from like that period in my life to now being like oh, I have parents that I can talk about and that I, you know, I don't need to hide my family anymore and I don't need to hide that part of myself anymore. And suddenly it's like people are like, oh, I've never heard about your family. Right. When did you think that, that per- where do you think that permission came from? Do you think it's a permission? Do you think it's an awareness? Do you think it's like a, sometimes people say like racial awakening? Yeah, you know? totally. I, it really felt like, you know, like I'm, a brown queer person and in the same way that I had a queer awakening I had like a racial awakening so I love that you said that term right. I think my racial awakening happened when the first time I, I met another Indian actor oh another Indian performer who was it do I know um, it was the first project that I ever did in my entire life and it was all Indian people oh and so so all at once I was finding 20 people that like were liberal progressive young artists mm. that were all Indian so I can't really even speak to one name it right. was just kind of like an overwhelming experience of like there are 30 Indian people in this room and every single one of them is nothing like what I thought an Indian person could be mm. I find myself in you and I like see some uh, something a quality in myself in all of you and that was a very disorienting when was Painful that? Painful experience. It was uh, two, three years ago. Three was years it, ago. Was it Monsoon? It was Monsoon Wedding, yeah. And it was, you know, the first show that I ever did in my life. Yeah. And so I found that that was the beginning of a very painful process of being like, okay, why have I hated Indian people mm. my entire life? Mm-hmm. Why have I hated myself because of that and hated my family because of that? Mm. And I remember like a year into doing Monsoon Wedding, my mom actually told me, she said, I'm really happy that you are a part of this show mm. because I don't know if you notice, but you you talk to me differently and you've been talking to members of your family differently. Wow. And I feel that there's less tension 
when you're talking to us. And I feel that there's a little bit more comfort in who you are and less shame in who you are when you're oh talking to God. us. Oh my God. Right before you said the word, I was going to latch on that word a little bit because yeah. that's how we operate as Asian people. The idea of shame mm-hmm. and the idea... And, and you were also saying, you know, like you felt shame... You, you felt the shame of being Indian. It's the same for being queer sometimes, you know, like that internalized whatever it is, right? Homophobia or how do you say racial phobia? I don't know. Just like that yeah, idea. Internalized racism. Yeah, ex- yeah. Especially because we live in a society that values a certain culture, a certain color more. I mean, I grew up in a very racist household and I, I, I never realized it until, you know, I left and be like, yeah. oh, fuck, this is, I grew up with this mentality yeah. that now I have to like check myself. Yeah. And, like, figure out why these were taught to me. I don't think my parents or, or, or my relatives or my family are, are necessarily bad people. But it's, it's, it's the idea that you grew up in a, an environment that just literally gives you that information and you take it as is. Mm-hmm. You know, and you don't question it. You don't challenge it. And I think that is very prevalent as well in, um, dark, like, brown, brown people and totally. black people. Like, totally. colorism. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Yeah, the colorism that's, like, kind of ingrained in our heads. It's so funny, like, coming to America and then made, like, we're made to feel like we're more racist than the white people that are here Mm. because of the, like, kind of public, like, unapologetic colorism that our families have grown up with. Mm. But, you know, we are able, not able, it's always a bad thing. It's always to be discouraged. But, like, we have been able to be, like, kind of openly colorist and racist in our households because we are not contributing to a society that is, you know, racially against, you know, a certain group of people in the same degree that America is. And so to be coming here and being like, oh, South Indians are darker than North Indians, like I'm North Indian. So like, that was a huge thing, like South Indians are darker than North Indians. And so like, they're, you know, ugly and they're blah, 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 et cetera. Like all that undesirable, fucking undesirable, all that fucking bullshit. And then me being made to feel like, oh, like your family. So basically you're telling me that your family's racist. Mm. And I'm like, yes. Mm-hmm. And you need to realize that just because you're not saying these, like, blanketed statements, that doesn't mean that you are not contributing to the same shit. Yeah, absolutely. You know, especially, like, you seeing all Indians as the same and, like, fully not understanding, like, that there is even a difference between those two things, Mm -hmm. you know? It's like, yeah, it's just a little bit more complicated. It's a different kind of racism. Right. And do you think that you were aware – So, because you said – how old are you right now? I'm 22. I know I'm not supposed to ask that question. We can edit that Illegal. out if you don't want to. <laughs> Be like, bleep, bleep, bleep. I'm <laughs> so how old are you? <laughs> I'm <laughs> Talk a little bit about like how, how you functioned as a kid growing up in America. Yeah. So like, I mean, for me, I just remember, I mean, I ha- number one, I hated my name so much. Hmm. You know, even in Indian populations, Kuhu is not a very popular or common name mm-hmm. at all. Not that that mattered. That wasn't ever the reason. It could have been a common Indian name, but I just hated it with all my heart. I was like, it's not serious. It's not indicative of who, of who I am, I think. It's so easily malleable to, like, a lot of different nicknames, you know? And so it wasn't my favorite. And I think, um, you know, that was definitely an excuse that I used. I had people call me Katie growing up. Wow. That was one of, I changed my name. Oh, you wanted people to call you Katie. I wanted people to call me Katie. Wow. Yeah. And so I would convince people that like, oh yeah, just, you know, I would love for you to just call me that. And I definitely 
took advantage of the fact that I'm very fair skinned. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely took advantage of that by telling people that I was biracial and that I had some white in me to make me exotic in a way that was still familiar mm. and exotic in a way that um, was more intriguing and less common because there's the exoticism of being an Indian person and like being from a faraway land and being foreign. And then there's the exoticism of being like, I'm very, I'm special. Mm. You know, I'm Indian, yes, but I'm also a combination of Indian and white. And that in itself is so, it's foreign in such a beautiful way mm. as compared to foreign in a common way of just being one of many Indians in the world. And that's something that you personally believed in. You believe that that would you know, put you in a spot where, like, you don't Higher have status. to be. Mm, yeah, which is, yeah. and that you consciously did as a child. Totally. As, as you know, a child that, like, really didn't know better and didn't oh, know, yeah. like, why I wanted those things. But as far oh, as I was concerned. Well, you, I mean, you you didn't know why, but, but like, the media was bombarding you with oh, totally. all, all of that, right? Like, even me growing up in Singapore, it's like, mm -hmm. you're still bombarded with the white images. You always mm -hmm. think that the white person is the ideal you know, I also hate the word representation because it's like, oh, or diversity rather. It's like, oh, this is a very diverse cast. I don't think it's a diverse cast. I think it's a cast that is properly representing the world of today. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. And so when someone is like, oh, they really went out of their way to have a diverse cast. It's like, you're making it sound like there were all these white people and then you had to like really search for the people of color, you know, and it's special or it's like unique or it's not actually representative of what the world looks like but rather you're going out of your way to like make this curate the special diverse group of people when in reality it's like no you're properly representing what the world looks like you yeah. know it's not diverse and you're not doing anything special for the first time actually you're doing non-racist casting so let's call it that there's racist casting and then there's non-racist casting yeah you can cast in a way that is supporting the systemic idea that white people are that more actors are white people and that more people that are going out to audition and wanting to de do these things are white people or you can do non-racist casting which is completely you know neglecting those ideals and and fully realizing that like we're all there it's just we haven't been given the same amount of attention and the same amount of ability to grow in this field because of years and years and years of racism. And it's so cyclical, you know? It's exactly. like the the reason... I mean, I personally don't think there are less of certain um, ra racial groups in, in, in the theater and acting and anything. But there is the idea that Asian people, Asian parents don't want their kids to go into acting, don't want, don't want their kids to go into the arts because, first of all, you're not represented in the media. Like 50 years ago, the only like Chinese representation on TV was like a stereotype of a martial arts person, like little tiny eyes, a mustache, and like bucked uh, buck teeth, and like totally. that. What that that's the Western perception of what Chinese people looked like, totally. and that was like if that's the only representation that we get, why would your parents want you to be like, oh, you should aspire to be that, you know, you should yeah. aspire to do that form of art or expression. But even now when people are trying to combat that and they're trying to cast like, oh, this like young person who's like, let's say, let's just say an Indian actress who is playing a character that like goes to school and it's a middle school in Virginia and like, you know, she's totally normal and she's like very like American. And then you see like little tiny things of Indianness in her background. You know, even that, I feel like sometimes they try to combat the race thing so hard to try to make a point that like, oh no, we're not stereotyping this person. 
you know, that they'll show, like, the liberal Indian parents and they'll show the, like, you know, like, they'll combat it so hard that they're losing kind of the authenticity of what it actually means to be a person of color in America. We're not all the same. Not all Chinese people are the same. Not all Indian people are the same. We don't expect one version of represent, like, of of portrayal. We don't expect one version of portrayal to be the thing. Like, if you portray a family of Chinese people, we're not going to be like, oh, all Chinese people are like that. If you if you make more shows and you show more sides of the story, you show different types of people operating in different ways, yeah. then we won't jump to that conclusion and be like, oh, you know, fresh off the boat. All Chinese families are going to be like that. And like... Yeah. yeah, it's like either one or the other. It's either like playing into the stereotype, which is we hate, or it's like the like very, very, very like, we're combating the stereotypes and we're going to show every single little characteristic about this family and about this protagonist to be the opposite of what you think the this Indian is or this Chinese person is. And I'm like, I kind of don't like either version. <laughs> like, yeah. I kind of am craving um, a story where it's like so many different kinds of Indian people in one space and like how they relate to each other. So many different kinds of Chinese people and how they relate to each other in a space. Yeah. You know? Like, I would be more interested in that rather than just having like a gray fucking like look at how many ways we're like trying to show you that we're not racist right by yeah. writing this story right um not interested in that yeah okay round two name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I want to I go back to, to your childhood yeah. and, and growing up. Were you always the performer? Did you always say, yeah, I wanted to grow up to be an actor. I wanted to grow up to be an entertainer. I wanted to grow up to be in the arts. Was it something that was in your trajectory always? Well, like, because I didn't know what that looked like mm. for me, I never was like, I'm going to be an actor. I'm going to, like, it was less of a career-based thought and more of a, like, no matter what I end up doing, I always came back to this desire and this need to create, you know, mm-hmm. and it was so much more of that, which I kind of like, you know, it's like instead of chasing success, chase the things you love and success will follow. Oh, absolutely. Literally, David just said that. Amazing. <laughs> of course, I mean, Libras. <laughs> but yeah, so it's it's very much that idea. Like no matter what I did, I, I thought I was going to be a vet for a hot sack. I thought I was going to be a lawyer for a hot sack. You know, like there were so many little, little things that I was playing with. But at the end of the day, all of my hours 
were going into this one thing, which was singing and acting. And you can't argue with that, you know? Yeah. When your body, no matter what you're telling yourself, your body just keeps kind of returning to this one thing. Yeah. And I think I was really privileged in, in that way because it's not like I was looking at these icons like, I want to do this. I wanna, I'm want i going to follow their path. I'm going to follow their path. I actually wasn't bound by that. Mm. I had no examples really to look up to. So instead, I just found within myself what felt right and what felt wrong, what felt like it was good be going to be good for my artistic identity and what didn't feel good. And in that way, it was like such a unique and like original way of building my desires and like building what I thought was going to work for me as an artistic person. Um, yeah, rather than being like, well, Madonna did this, so I'm going to do exactly that thing, right. <laughs> you know. Right. And so you moved to New York. When did you move to New York? For school. And that was in 2000 and... That was in 2014. 14. I graduated last year. Yeah, I graduated last year. (laughs) Like, she graduated last year, and she's a fucking star. Like... She's always been a fucking star, but, but like, you guys have no idea. Okay. You're so also you very can- biased, but, um, yeah, I kind of... I am, but it's true. It's, like, a positive bias. So you came to New York in 2014. You came to NYU. Yes. You came to this building. I came to this very building that we're sitting in right now for classes. <laughs> and how was that experience for you? Oh, my God. It was... Listen, I love NYU. So much. The school, the university, the place. Like, I came here not, yes, for the academics, blah, 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 whatever. But, like, I came here for the city. Yeah. And I got exactly that. If I wasn't here, I would not, you know, be working today. I don't, I would be four years behind, you know. And so I got what I came looking for. As far as my specific program, I can't say that they did anything to respect my artistic identity Mm. at all. Do you want to elaborate a little bit about that? Totally. I was one of two people of color in my class. Um, And when I looked around in my entire program, all grades, I think I saw maybe just a handful of people of color and maybe only one other Indian person. Wow. Um, And as far as Asian people, maybe three Asian people in my entire program. And so... It became very clear very quickly that they were catering to a white voice. You know, I was in a vocal performance degree. Mm-hmm. And all of that has to do with the mechanics of the voice, the placement of the voice, the health of the voice, the stability of the voice. And honing, just very plainly, honing how you sing. And when it comes to how you sing, it gets very complicated when everyone's perception of good, healthy singing is white opera singers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The way... Our vocal cords operate are different from how black people's voices operate. It's different from how white people's voices operate. It's just, it, 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 is. it really is different. It is. And that's something that's so big. Like, you know, I <laughs> sing a lot of R&B stuff, but like my version of R&B is going to be really different than what people expect mm-hmm. because they want me to sound like a black woman. And that's, it's just not going to be that, mm-hmm. you know, and the kind of wear and tear that my voice can take is also very different than a, a white woman's of my own, this very same stature. Absolutely. And so I would be sometimes singing in class and they would be like, oh, I'm worried about like, it really sounds like you're hurting yourself and it, you know, I'm really worried about you. And I trust their degree. I trust their education. I trust them as teachers for the most part. But the fact that you are treating my vocal cords like a white of five two white woman is absolutely unacceptable. And the fact that when you don't know what to do with me, you're giving me gospel songs, like slave songs, wow. to sing, is also unacceptable. Right. You know, and I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be doing that. And to be a vocal performance program is not to make everyone sound the same. It shouldn't be. It should be 
how do I take this person's specific artistic gift and artistic voice and how do I respect their identity while simultaneously giving them the tools to be as healthy and as stable as possible? And that is what I was missing. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about, you said monsoon wedding happened. Is it in your junior year? My so, so sophomore year. My sophomore year is when I went into the open. It was just an open audition. It was the first audition that I had been to in New York. Like I d- didn't really know what the deal was, and you know I was a student of Steinhardt, and so I would see all my Tish friends like going out and auditioning for shit, and I was like, "How are they doing this already?" Like I'm freaking out, and I feel like I need to get in the room and like see what it's about, mm-hmm. you know. And so the person I was dating at the time was like. Well, I saw this on Playbill, and it looks kind of like up your alley. You're not going to get it because it's your first audition. But why don't you just go in and get the feel of the room? You know, and he didn't mean anything by it mm-hmm. other than it's your first audition ever. So obviously you're not going to fucking get it. But just have fun. Have fun with it. So I went in. It was an open audition my sophomore year. And I weirdly got a call back for the lead. And then I just kept getting called back until I got it. And so <laughs> I did two workshops with them. And then I had a show with them at Berkeley Repertory Theater. Talk a little bit about Berkeley Rep. Um, how was that your fir- that was your first regional theater? Yeah, experience. Yes, that was my first regional theater. That was my first show contract run ever. Like eight show a week situation ever was at Berkeley Rep. Oh, let's talk about that. Eight shows a week. Oh my god, that I did experience. not know how to adjust to that. <laughs> I just like I didn't. I didn't understand. Like art is seen so differently in India and mm. is seen so differently in Indian culture. Like it's it's never supposed to be something that is monetized upon really unless you're at a certain level and it's also something that comes straight straight from the heart so it's really hard for me to be like well it's that time again every single day at the same exact time i'm singing the same exact song in the same exact way in the same exact clothes is like kind of went against everything that i realized i had been doing my entire life right so i i was very much someone that was like i'm not singing unless i feel like it Oh, that's so interesting. But then this is like a theater. Theater is like consistency. You yeah. want to be able to do eight shows a week the same way, hopefully. Yeah. You know, and of course you can discover things as you go along the way. But mm-hmm. but ideally, you're supposed to deliver the same product. Totally. Every single time you do it. Yeah. Oh, boy. It was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do ever. Um, yeah. Well, until much later. Until we'll, much later. We'll, we'll, still, we'll still talk about. But yeah. Yeah, so first regional theater experience, Berkeley, where is, Berkeley Rep is located in California. Yes, yes And um, they have a great program there for cultivating new works. So that mm-hmm. was part of like a new work um, programming, right? Yeah, yeah. I think Ain't Too Proud was also with us at the same time. Wow. They were running at the same time that we were. And so it's great to see them like flourishing right now and yeah. being on Broadway and like having such a great time. They really deserve it. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. And the whole team, like talk about the big cast. You said there were 30, about 30 Indian people. Yeah, I mean, throughout the workshops, you know, I was meeting so many of them. But I think like by the end, I mean, it was a while ago, so forgive me. And I have a terrible memory. But um, I think there was a lot of double casting and stuff so by the end we probably only had like 10 or 15 people in the cast that's still a big cast yeah yeah I mean it was like it was very much wanting to invoke like the big Indian raucous family Mm -hmm. liveliness and color like color and so yeah we had a lot of a lot of people a lot of family people yeah and how did you how did you learn how to do HOs a week 
I was so I was also the youngest person there. You know, the character was like 25, 26 years old, but like I was a fresh 20 and I was the only one that was like fully under eight. Like by the time we went to Berkeley rap, I was first cast when I was like 18, 19, but like I was like a ripe 20 at Berkeley. And so a lot of it was just like asking stupid questions and asking the people around me the dumbest, dumbest, dumbest things. And it really helped that they were Indian because I felt just like a fundamental understanding of how to communicate with them. And I I honestly, at that time in my life, and I still right now get very intimidated by white people in power. Doesn't matter, male, female, non-binary, doesn't matter. I, I definitely feel a little trepidation when it comes to communicating with them and asking them questions. And, you know, even though I'm a very strong person and I'm a very professional person. So at that point in my life, it really helped that I could be like, we all understand each other. We all understand our backgrounds. We get where we come from. There are little language things that soften us to each other. You know, like I can throw in one word and we're already like on the right foot, you know, because we just have that understanding. And so that was really nice. So I've leaned on them a lot, a lot, a lot to get did, through the eight shows. Did any of them take you like kind of under their wing and be like, all right, I am your mentor now and yeah, we're in it together? Fully. I mean, m- a lot of them did, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. But one person in particular, Anisha Nagarajan, did. Mm-hmm. And she was the other female lead with me. And um, there were several female leads, but she was one of them. And she was about, about 10 years older than me. Mm-hmm. And her career was kind of something that when I heard about, I was like, that's me. you know. Um, and I wasn't really aware of her that much. I had seen her on TV like a couple years ago and outsourced. But mm-hmm. other than that, I didn't really, I wasn't very aware of her. But she booked um, Bombay Dreams when she was about my age when she was 20 wow. and so she was like yeah like went in for an audition and like booked the lead and then I, like now here I am mm. and I was like fuck that's me like I'm 20 and I just did that like <laughs> I just booked a show and you know like I was so intrigued by her and so yeah I asked her a lot of questions and she fully like guided me through a lot of hard emotional things and throughout that show and yeah it was kind of like my older sister Amazing. And I'm I'm the older sister in my family, so I never had that. Yeah. Yeah. So after you did Monsoon, you booked your first movie. Yeah. Well, that was kind of during Monsoon, actually. During Monsoon? Yeah. Yeah. Great. So if, 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 you'll, if you'll give me the space to talk about it, it's actually kind of a weird, funny story. I would love to, yeah. Story. So basically... I did the first workshop, and I wasn't fully attached to the show by then because it was just a first workshop, and, you know, people get replaced all the time. So by the end of the first workshop, the director was, like, very much like, we'll see you at the second workshop. We love you. We love you. We love you. So I was like, okay, I'm going forward with it. But then casting called me, and they were like, we're so sorry. They're going in a different direction, but we love you so much that we want to give you this audition. And so then they gave me my second audition Mm. of my career, which was for The Big Sick. Mm -hmm. And so I went in. And then I just, like, didn't hear back for a while. And then the Monsoon people actually called me, and they were like, so it's not working out with this other person, and so we need you to come in during the second workshop. It was the third day of the second workshop, and they were like, we need you to come in and just do it. So I ended up going back to Monsoon, and then I got the call from the Big Sick, and I booked that too. So I ended up kind of getting the best of both worlds because yeah. I got to do Monsoon, and I got to do the Big Sick, both of them. And so... It's so weird and serendipitous, but, you know, 
if they hadn't hired that other person, which whom I know, by the way, and she's fucking amazing. She's incredible. I love her. I respect her so much. If they wouldn't have cast her first, then like... You wouldn't have gotten the audition. I wouldn't have gotten the audition. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't have been doing the big sick, which is awesome. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, talk about time on set and, and your experience there. Oh, woof. I mean, so much of my life now has been like, I don't, like, without training or anything, I just like go in and I do it and I have my experience and I like, quote unquote, fail miserably. <laughs> And then I learn from it. <laughs> That's the best way to learn, though. Yeah. Honestly. Fully. So a lot of it has been that of just, like, trying to hang on and, like, trying to, like, do the best work I can while being scared f- shitless. <laughs> um and so that's what Monsoon was, and that is surely what The Big Sick was for me. Um, I had never had any camera work, not even, like, I wasn't even one of the people that, like, had the, like, video cameras and, like, shot funny videos with my friends. Like, I wasn't even that kid, you know? <laughs> so I had never been in front of a camera before, ever in my life. And suddenly I was just, like, sitting across, like, Kumail Nanjiani and, like, Anupam Kerr and, like, all these people that I respect so much. Um, it was a very short shooting day. It was, like, 13 hours, 14 hours. Now, for me, I'm saying short now because I understand a little bit more how that works. But at the time, I was like, I have one or two scenes. Why is it taking so long? I didn't understand at all, especially because it's so much time of it is just sitting around doing nothing. Absolutely. Oh, my God. I was like, I understand why people do cocaine. (laughs) I was like, I get why actors do cocaine now. I totally understand. It's so hard to shut off the energy and then be like, I'm ready to perform for you like a monkey. Like, it's so awful. (laughs) I'm like, Kuhu, if you ever do cocaine... I will be there to stop you. My God, but I get it. But I get it. I'm like, how else are you gonna fucking do this? You know, I get it. Actors have it hard, man. (laughs) Like, yeah, it was. It's so an opposite experience of of what you expect. Theater of what I expected, but also theater. It's completely different. And I was like, oh, I need practice if I'm gonna do this. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and you did. You keep. You kept going. You've been shooting a bunch of web series. Yeah. A lot of, for the experience mostly. I still don't know like how I feel about it. Okay, um, you're young. You'll figure yeah, it out. Yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna keep trying things until I settle somewhere. <laughs> you know, I'm not someone to say no to many things, and so yeah. I just keep saying yes and find myself in situations that I don't know anything about. <laughs> I mean, talking about situations you know nothing about. Let's talk about your latest expedition yeah. into 
I mean, I don't think you, that's a wrong phrase. I was like, latest expedition into acapella. But I was like, that's not true. You know things about acapella. You have been in acapella while you were in NYU. I, yeah, I did acapella in college, you know, but this is a completely different behemoth. So I was in a show called Octet by Dave Malloy at Signature Theater. And we had a nice chunk of a uh, run, which was awesome. A lot of a lot of fan pages have been made about it already. People love it. It's beautiful. It's, awesome. it's beautiful. You, you're, you were you. gorgeous in it. And the cast was phenomenal. The I music is phenomenal. It's, it's it's really really genius. Yeah. I've never seen anything like it. And Thank to be able you. to experience that in New York theater, it's like oh, theater can do this. You know, like Thank you always you. expect theater to be a certain way, and then you go into a space and like not and you're truly not expecting anything. Like you know, I'm like okay, it's gonna be a Dave Malloy show. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's all I'm walking in for. And and I personally am truly blown away because to make acapella active. In theater? Yeah. It's so hard. It's I mean, so hard. I was worried about that. And I know I'm not the only one that feels yeah, this way. Because we have had shows before. Yeah. We will not name names. And we understand. Yeah, it's tough. It's, yeah. it's a really, really tough medium to work with. And when I first got the script for it, I was reading some of the things and I was like, this is going to be the most whack-ass. And somehow this genius, genius team has made it into... um. A weird genre of its own. Yeah. You know? And I think it just comes from a deep respect for the characters and a deep respect of everything that is, that has to do with humanity. Um, And, you know, we didn't hear any of the conversations about money, nor did we care, you know? So it was really one of the least commercial experiences that I've ever had, even though we, you know, presumably made a lot of money for Signature Theater. Um. Talk about working with Dave Malloy, working with Annie, working with the incredible Octet with your two understudies. Let's talk about that process. Great. Yeah, I mean, kind of related because I was, I mean, I felt like I could do my work as an actor without worrying about why am I really here? Am I diversity casting? Like, am I this? Am I that? I didn't have to worry about any of that stuff because it was so clear. Like, the only thing that I had to worry about my character was who she was, and that's it. So for the first time, I felt like a white actor. You know, I felt like (laughs) so, I was, I could focus on the art and just the art, and Dave and Annie were so helpful in that, you know? Annie held my hand, The Annie Tip, the director, she's fully a genius and she held my hand throughout like finding the really really difficult stuff about this person my character is someone that has so much love and feels so much but just has kind of a barrier in front of her and can't really let seep out you know and has a lot of social anxiety a lot of a lot of social communication issues and so to play someone that has to be active and has so many feelings but you can see that she's struggling to communicate those things Mm. was something that is opposite of who I am as a person and opposite of like what I really try to do when I'm communicating with people. And so it was a really surreal experience. And I really felt like I was transforming every night. That's incredible. How many performances do you guys do? I think, I don't want to get this wrong, but I think it was about 50. That's a lot. That's a lot to like do it every single night. I think it was, was it more than that? It might have been more. I mean, so we opened, we opened technically, April 30th was the beginning of previews. And then you closed in June, end of June. Yeah, so June, like ju- uh, June 30th. Weeks, so ten, that's it was like, fully two months. I mean, two months is like eight shows a week, eight weeks. I mean, do your aren't, math. That's aren't already we Asian? 64. Huh? <laughs> so I will edit it out 50, if it's wrong. So more 50. <laughs> more than 50. More than 50. <laughs> 
<laughs> Should I pull my calculator out? This is so. My parents are gonna hear this 64. and they're gonna be like, "Who? What did you do?" It's like we should not have let you go to school for this. Um, eight wait, times eight. Is it? Eight times eight. Yeah, you're right. Sixty four. Yeah, I was like, okay, come on, I can do is mental math. Yeah. <laughs> 64. Okay, so yeah, like that's a lot of shows. That's more, I think it's more than 84, 64 because you did, you said you opened in April. April 30th? April 30th. Okay, great. Then yes. Yeah, 64. Eight weeks, eight weeks. Yeah, I mean, we, we did runs and that kind of stuff, you know, before beforehand. But I mean, and I didn't find that I actually clicked into the character until previews. Wow. You know, I didn't actually get into it until like well into previews. I don't know what it was, but some, like a switch just kind of went off in my head and I was like, Oh, I understand who she is. Um, and I actually think it was talking to people after Octet. Mm. There were there were my character's name was Velma. And there were there were Velmas that were coming up after coming up to me afterwards and were like, Hey, thank you so much. Like, thank you for doing this. Um, I really connected to your character a lot and not being able to even look me in the eye, but feeling such such strong emotions and such strong passion for what they saw, but just not being able to really communicate it to me mm. and so i think that's when it connected i was like oh these are the people i'm doing it for right mm. you know so um yeah i mean it was yeah it was just such a respectful experience and for me i made a pact with myself after monsoon wedding not because of monsoon wedding but just in general i could see in another world how my life would go and how my career would go so i made a pact with myself that it's going to be risky and it might blow up my face but in the next five years, I will not be doing Indian-specific parts anymore. Oh, no. So yeah. then you won't want to do my show anymore. Well, we're not in year five yet. <laughs> so we have we have time. Great. But I was like, yeah, five years from now, like, that's it. We're done. Right. Um, I mean, rules are meant to be broken. And so I made that rule to be broken. But I made it because I think it's really important to promise to myself that I don't get stuck in the – it would be really easy for me to make money – by just accepting those roles. Oh, and going 100%, out for those roles. I 100% know what you're talking about. Fulfilling that niche. I, t- I told my agent, I was like, don't sign me up for Miss Saigon. Don't sign me up for yeah. King and I. Don't, don't. There are people that can do that. And I personally, as a human that. being, I don't want to yeah. only because those are true. Oh, actually, truly, my, my reason for, for that is like, these are not my stories. Mm-hmm. These are not my stories. Like, I am not Thai. I am not. Um, Vietnamese. These are not stories that resonate with me as a being. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I don't want to do it. It doesn't mean like I don't want to do any Chinese roles. I don't want to do any Asian roles ever. Yeah. But on the broad spectrum, it's that these stories do not resonate with my being. Totally. So don't put me in these stories. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be like, you know, like a stick up my, my nose yeah. or my ass, you know, like being like, oh, I'm too good for this. It's not that. Yeah. But it's like, you have a, such a limited time on earth. And if you're going to spend time developing something, you want to feel like you are in control and that you're, you are a piece of this. Mm-hmm. You're a piece of this creation. Totally. Um, not everybody feels that need. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think that that kind of like resonates with you, I, ho- I hope. Totally. Totally. It's like, I'm not going to tell the story just because I can. And, you know, just because it's easy money and whatever, like, you know, and I understand that that's also a very privileged thing to be able to say. Oh, a hundred percent. And I get that. But I'm like, if I, but I do, if I do have that privilege, I have a responsibility to every single person that comes after me and every single person alongside me right now, Yeah. you know, and people like Anisha and like, 
you know, the person I was talking about before and other people who didn't have that fucking option when they were growing up. Like, they just had to, like, if they wanted to be an actor, they had to be withheld to the Priyas and the Poojas and the, you know, all and the Rajas and, like, all those people, Mm -hmm. you know. And so for me, you know, it's a promise to myself that I'm going to see myself as an actor, you know, and not as someone that is going to allow herself to be branded, Mm. in a certain way Mm. Uh, i'm not gonna put myself in that box and it's gonna be hard and it's a risk and i might not get work for a very long time i'm not worried about that at all girl but you know what i'm not either because because if i if i make that promise to myself then the work will come yeah it'll come yeah it always has and always will talk a little bit about your secret garden workshop experience and my love of my life who well she doesn't know yet but like Shayna Taub's suffragists <laughs> talk about that okay I am absolutely in love with Shayna Taub okay and that is not a secret I this is a secret I, I I'm like declaring <laughs> declaring this love and she'd be like get this restraining order right now who is this person I don't know him I love her I've done I've done a lot of shows with her I think a lot of my community here at New York would not have happened if it were not for her. Um, You know, she has brought me into a group of people that are Broadway, you know, Broadway quality performers that have the kindness and the awareness of the world that also make them activists Mm -hmm. and that also make them just kind, humble people. And to have both of those things and so many people in this community is like absolutely a blessing. Yeah. You know, so we're doing another workshop of suffragists very soon, and hopefully the public will be putting it up soon, but, you know, who knows? But in the suffragists, um, in her show, that's another example of, you know, in Octet, I played someone that was just a person, and it had no kind of racial connotations whatsoever. And in suffragists, I feel the same exact way. You know, I have the liberty to be able to play several different characters um, in that show, and none of them have any kind of... You know, I have no responsibility to share my own life Mm. in them. I can just have them be vehicles of art and be vehicles of storytelling. And Secret Garden is the same way? Secret Garden is very different. Mm. It was really lovely. It was a really great experience and a lot of amazing people. But, you know, I'm playing Aya in it. And so I am playing someone that is very specifically Indian, Mm -hmm. but also one of two Indian people in the entire show, Mm -hmm. you know. And the particular cast in workshops very is probably going to be very different than when we eventually put it up. But, um, you know, they were very – it was a very, quote-unquote, um, non-racist casting, which was awesome. It was only, like, less than half of the people were white. Mm. And so that's really great. And all of them were, like, it's just amazing, amazing people and amazing actors. Yeah. Um, you know, but I did play someone that was Indian. And so I definitely did feel a responsibility and an obligation to be, like – okay, some of this writing is a little dated Mm. from the last time that Secret Garden existed, so I think that we should make some tweaks. And I definitely did speak up on a lot of those things. Do you feel empowered to speak up because of the current climate of our industry? Or do you think that's like... Or do you you, you see that as a burden? Do you see that as... It's a little bit of both, but the fact of the matter is, like, if conversations weren't already being had, then we wouldn't know that it's an option, Mm. you know? And so... Everything is cause and effect. And, you know, because I have the words to be able to have conversations like this all the time is why I felt like I was eloquent enough to talk to the creative team about some of the issues. Um, And they were very receptive to everything. And, you know, I and I did feel empowered in that room um, to do my job. 
but it is certainly still different because I am playing an Indian person. And, mm. you know, especially in the context of that show, it's such a classic show. And also it was in a time when the British were occupying India. Yeah. And, you know, like even though it's the setting is in India, we are the servants and we are working for them. And so that's something that it, we, it is not changeable, you mm-hmm. know. That is part of history. Yeah. And so – and that's also not the focus of the show. And so – you know, it's not my job to change that. It's not my job to feel empowered to suddenly be a very different kind of Aya. You know, I need to honor the script and need to do what I need to do. But I can focus on the really important things of the show, which is the protagonist, the person who makes all the change, is a young girl. She is the person that has all of the change, which is already different than so many of the shows that are, you know, commercially on Broadway right now. That's true. And so for me, that's a win. And for me, if I can help in telling that story, that a little girl will, girl with foresight of like the power of spirituality, the power of nature, and the power of Eastern ideals, you know, these things that just now Western people are finally getting their heads around, that nature is something that should be valued, mm-hmm. that our bodies are something that should be valued, mm-hmm. that you don't have to take Tylenol every five minutes. You know what I mean? Things like that. You know, if, if you, we can you know, expound upon that in this show, then, like, that's already a win for me. Yeah. So before we wrap this up, I have three, a few questions. Ooh. Oh. Almost like three, but like a few questions mm-hmm. for you. And <clears throat> they might be a little bit of, like, a whammy. But okay, okay. So if you could tell yourself, a younger self, something, mm-hmm. what would you tell, what would you say to little Kuhu Verma? I mean, you're so young, so it's like, yeah. I mean, you're a little kuhuvama right now still, but um, what would you give, what advice would you give yourself growing up, looking back right now? I've thought about this a lot, and I've always had trouble with the answer, and I think that's <laughs> part of why I think I need to grow up a little bit more um, to be able to tell it, but right now in my life, I think it would be Nothing matters but the truth. You know? I spent so much time hiding, and I spent so much time trying to cover up how who I was and what I cared about, just in, a, in a, an attempt to confuse people about who I was, and in an attempt to rise to a place that where I thought I could get respect, you know? But you don't get respect by... You don't get respect by dishonoring your truth and by chasing respect. Mm. You know, you make your own place by honoring your truth. And so I think I'll have to tell her that. Nothing matters but the truth. I want to say, like, I, I really love you because there's an energy about you that is so pure. I don't I don't know if people tell you this, but there's just, like, an openness to your being and your honesty. And I've seen you, like, outside of our, our working together. Like, I've seen you do so much that just represents your being. And I, I sometimes I don't know how to, like, explain that. You know, I, I'm a person who who is attracted to energies. And I just remember so clearly that night at the duplex when you were doing your solo show and you were singing I Am Light... And that was like a magical moment. I mean, I never knew the song. And I I always understood that concept. 
But when you were communicating it, I can tell you that the entire room felt it. That that is you, you know, and and you are that embodiment of that, and and that's beautiful. And you're only twenty two. It's like <laughs> what the fuck? It's like beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. So um. Oh, fuck. I'm like getting, getting teary. Yeah, I'm getting teary. <laughs> We're both sitting here just like kind of crying. Oh my god. Um uh well one last question mm-hmm. would be is there anything that you would like to ask me about yourself, about the world, about my secrets? Anything. You're what a tempting delicious offer you have just given me. You get one. Just one. Just one. Oh wow. <laughs> um I mean to be honest, I've always been very curious about you. Still am and always will be, which is why I think we make a great pair. And I think if you could change one thing, and I hate this question already because I don't regret anything and you shouldn't change anything. But if you could change one thing that you have done in your childhood regarding yourself, regarding how you saw yourself, anything, what would it be? Oh, my God. I was always afraid to fail. I think right now I'm still very afraid to fail. And I think every single part of my insecurity comes from that that notion. Like, I'm so scared of being fat. Like, I, agent standards, I'm so fucking fat, right? Like, just like... You know, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. I know and, what you mean. And I'm very feminine um, in my own way. And it, I don't even know how to f- uh, answer that question. If I could change, wh- I want to change every part of myself, honestly, if I could, in, if I had the power. But I've come to, I am at a point in my life where I respect all those flaws that I have, that I, that I deem as flaws, you sure. know, that personally I deem as flaws. But they are not. They are who I am. They are. They are what makes me who I am. They're mm-hmm. literally every single part of me. I can. I can. I can give you so many specific things. But I think they all stem from the idea of like being afraid to fail, because I'm the only child in my family, and I feel that this is like huge burden of like delivering success. Mm-hmm. Whatever that means, mm-hmm. I, do, I I truly don't know. But that that has to do with like how I look, how I behave, how I treat people, the things I do, all of that, and that all stems from like a fear of faith. I don't think I've even like talked about this. I never really thought about this. Stems from this like idea that I'm so afraid of failing that. To that question is like I want if I if I could change one thing about myself, I want to be not afraid to fail mm-hmm. as a kid. Because mm-hmm. every single time I approach anything that I do throughout my entire life so far, I've always come from the f- the, the headspace of like if I'm gonna fail at this, I'm not gonna do it. But then that's such an irony and so stupid because I'm doing the arts. There's no guarantee here mm-hmm. you can fail and that's it's just so weird it's just like this i don't know if that makes any sense that's a yeah. terrible answer it makes sense it's not a terrible answer at all it makes sense what i'm i'm not going to say this to i'm not trying to fix anything there's nothing to be fixed there's nothing wrong you know 
but everything that you do and everything that you are and everything that I've experienced from you and all of the gifts that you've given me from when I first met you have happened because of all of the quote-unquote flaws, right, that you keep referring to, the way that you hug and the way that you write melodies and the way that you communicate with people and the way that you love people and the way that you love yourself, all of that is a revolution and all of that is in protest of what you, what I, what all of us have been like trying to understand what success is, you know. And if it's failure that you're afraid of and if it's success, that you, the thing you want, then like you're going to find such a specific and unique kind of success, which is so much more intriguing and so much more magical and universal than whatever it is that you thought success would be. You know, because it doesn't feel good to have the success that you thought you always wanted. Why live if you're going to get exactly what you wanted? I mean, that's not life Mm. and that's not magic. You know, I think the fun really starts when you get something that you didn't expect. Did you like that episode of Eastside Story? If you did, follow us on Instagram at EastsideStoryPod and at Chiang Music. Go on to Apple Podcasts, rate us, review us, and don't forget to subscribe. Or if you're a Spotify user, you can also click the follow button. Even better, you can tell someone about the podcast. And the best part, they don't even have to be Asian. <laughs> Thank you so much for your support, and I'll see you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.